This episode of The Backdrop, Untold Stories in Golf, is brought to you by Half Day. Those of you who played in the Stinger, our annual member guest, may remember meeting Dave, the co-founder of Half Day CBD. Dave is a talented dude with a very impressive iron game, as demonstrated in our closest-to-the-pin hickory challenge. And when he's not puring 120-year-old mashies and niblicks, Dave's true passion is helping others with their physical and mental well-being. What's important to Dave and everyone else at Half Day is trust. Trust of their products and trust in their company. The CBD industry is fairly new, and compared to other CBD companies that I've tried, Half Day isn't afraid to invite you in and better understand their production process, including their farmers growing and harvesting in Kentucky, all the way to their in-house extraction and bottling process with their licensed food safety managers right here in Chicago. They even include batch records, so you can see exactly where your products have been and where they are coming from. The point is, these guys are really big on quality control, transparency, and safety, which, as a customer of a new product, I definitely appreciate. You can check them out at the links in our show notes and on the blog. If you click through those links, you'll be able to use the promo code NEWCLUB15 for an additional 15% off your first order. I'll be back a little later in the show to share my personal experiences with Half Day and hope you guys check them out. Brian McKeown, welcome to the bag drop. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Uh, as we were getting started there, um, I, one of my questions was going to be where you're from because we don't know each other all that well outside of just uh, our, our shared membership with New Club. Um, but McKeown is, it sounds, it looks like McKeon and it sounds like it's Scottish or Irish. Is that the roots? Yeah, it, it, we think it's a little bit of both. Um, not entirely sure uh exactly where probably um probably both are true and, and when 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 we went to scotland last year we claimed some scottish heritage if we go to ireland to play golf we'll, we'll pretend we're irish <laughs> just wherever it's convenient yeah golf, golf yeah. fortunately is as popular in both places indeed um where where you where'd you grow up yeah, so uh, I grew up um, in the Finger Lakes region of New York State, um, central New York, um, uh, between Syracuse and Rochester. Uh, super cold most of the year, very, very short golf season, but it's a pretty um, uh, golf rabid uh, place in the summertime. Um, people play all the time, uh, you know, it's light out till 930 this time of year in, in July, so we, we, we packed it in as kids growing up in, in upstate New York. Yeah, I, I did one very short uh, drive through that area and played some pretty cool golf courses. None coming to mind. What are some of your favorites up there? Uh, you know, over towards Rochester, you've got some great golf, starting with Oak Hill. Um, Donald Ross worked there a bunch. Um, um, you know, there's some good daily fee places on the Rochester side of things. Ross also worked uh, in Syracuse a little bit, um, where I grew up, the city I grew up in Auburn, um, has three golf courses that actually have some interesting history to them. Uh, Tilling has, uh, designed nine holes of the course that I grew up playing at. Um, the course, um, that I worked at, uh, as a kid in the bag room was a Tom Bendelow, uh, course, from, I think 1915 or 1916. Yeah, Johnny Appleseed, and then John Van Cleek, who who is from my hometown, um, built a, another course called the Wasco Country Club there. So, um, a lot of the you know cool features of of all three places have kind of gone away, but it's still really. Uh, I was just up there uh, recently to visit my parents, um, 
and got to play all uh, all three and there's still some some cool stuff up there so it's you know it, it's there's a lot of lakes while the golf courses have um you know views of the finger lakes uh which which had a nice element to it um but it's a short season so you really gotta you, know, you gotta get aggressive when when the sun comes out and it it gets over 45 degrees though i will say growing up we we did play a lot of uh, snow golf which is not as fun as it might might seem but when you're 12 13 14 years old and you got nothing else to do might as well go out and pretend you're you're participating in a physical activity <laughs> yeah i mean uh golf it was originally a winter sport in scotland and i always tell people that when they see me marching out you know when it's 38 degrees and snow flurries in the forecast i go what are you doing i go that's a winter sport the, the grass is dormant you don't have to worry about you know big thick rough the ball bounces if it's frozen <laughs> but especially those old um you know I, I i have awful memories of you know miss hitting a blade iron you know on a, on a on a 36 degree day when it's snowing out and you know there's ice on the ground that that feeling is just terrible terrible yeah. 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 That's, that'll teach you how to find the sweet spot. Hit a few For more. sure. So you're, you reside in, in DC. Now you're part of our uh, small, but mighty ambassador contingent uh, of new club in, in DC. You guys were edged out just, just barely, not, not by, uh, by size and not hard. I'll say um, from the, the, the group in Atlanta for our next local chapter to get some golf going down there. But uh, you know, there's a great group, in, in dc um there's great golf in dc i know we're going to talk quite a bit about that on on this uh this episode but you know what what took you to dc that's kind of go through your your origin really you know to where what t- brings you there today yeah so i I've, I've been living here now for g16 years i moved down here in 2004 um graduated college in, in 03 went to holy cross in massachusetts um came down here shortly after um you know i did an internship in the U.S. Senate uh, in college and kind of got uh, bit by the political bug, um, more so the the Capitol Hill bug uh, than anything, and really wanted to uh, make a career uh, uh, in the Congress. Um, so moved down here and you know started answering phones. Got lucky to get a job. Um, stuck around for a really long time, um, and and was lucky enough to to be able to make a career of it. Um, still here doing you know similar stuff. I, I spent 12 years working in the Senate. Uh, for uh, two separate members, um, and now I'm um, on the outside uh, doing um, uh, legal and government relations work. Uh, still, a lot of it focused on um, federal and congressional relations. And you know, it, it Washington's a great town, and and hopefully, uh, when that third chapter uh, gets christened, we're 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 on the short list because uh, there is great golf here, and it's a great community of people, and. Um, uh, it's a great place to visit for uh, for for golfers looking looking to do something cool. There's a lot of good stuff to play around here. Yeah, it is I feel like you know uh, new club members kind of develop out of metro areas, right? It's it's a, a lot of us have the similar story of moving to uh, a bigger city for opportunity for a job, and um, golf becomes more challenging. Golf groups become more challenging because there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of traffic. DC is some of the is unfortunately known for some of that traffic. Um, what what was it like? I, I got to imagine when you're working in the Senate, it's, it's that at first runt job. I mean, you're working long hours. Did did golf 
what, what kind of place did golf serve in your life when you were working the phones? Yeah. It, you know, I, I, I certainly lost a good number of years, um, uh, in the game, um, just you know, for a variety of reasons, as you mentioned, lack of time. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily have a car, uh, when I moved here right away. So you know, accessibility was, was a problem. Cost was a problem. Um, you know, working, um, you know, on the Hill as a, as a very junior staffer and then time really, um, I went to law school at night, um, took me you know, a little over four years to do that. And, um, and my time was not my own during, during that era. And, um, you know, I, I, I grew up in, in, really in love with the game. Um, I never played it competitively cause I, I played other sports in high school and college, but, um, I, I, my dad, um, uh, was an NCAA champion golfer at the college of Worcester. Uh, he won the, um, team won the, the NCAAs his senior year. He finished second as an individual and, Golf has been, you know, a, a huge part of his life and, and our relationship together um, growing up. So it was, it was, it was frustrating and tough to move somewhere, to move from somewhere where I could play, you know, a bunch of courses within, you know, a 10, 15 minute drive. Now down to DC, where you know, I didn't have the money, I didn't have the car, um, and I didn't have the time to do it. So there, there was a, a large chunk of my 20s where I, I didn't really play much at all, and really only played when I would go back home in the summertime um, during congressional recesses um, when I, again I could I could do it pretty cheaply and, and pretty quickly um, but it, but you know in the last couple of years you know, along with you know my membership in new club um, you know, I, I, I fell back in love with the game I've had a little more time to do it um, a little more resources to be able to to do stuff and to play some interesting courses and start to travel a little bit and then you know it's really thank the, uh, the golf internet for, for, for getting me back in love with the game. Um, you know, have developed a, a real interest in architecture and golf history and there's just so many resources and, and, you know, you can spend 15 minutes on Twitter and, you know, and go down a rabbit hole. And then, you know, I, I've stumbled upon one day golf club Atlas. It's like, who are these people? <laughs> what is going on here? I didn't know this existed. And then, you know, watching a TV show at night after the kids go to bed and, and spend some time on those websites and just a whole new world. And, um, you know, along the same time, started doing a little bit of travel. And you know, my, my first real golf trip was down to Mid Pines uh, in North Carolina. And, you know, walking off that 18th green um, and just turning around and being like, wow, like I, I didn't know it could be this great. Um, and, and, you know, really ever since that trip, you know, maybe four or five years ago, I've, I've really, you know, dove into, um, you know, rekindling that passion for the game and, um, you know, getting back to walking and, um, you know, trying to plan trips and, you know, just spending all my free time um, looking at pictures of golf courses and, and reading about it and listening to podcasts like, like yours. And it's, it's been great. It's, it's become a true passion, it's more than a hobby. Um, just love everything about it. Yeah, I think that feeling of knowing you're not alone in these thoughts and these pursuits is what the internet has really given a lot of us um, because you think it's, a, it's a, such a small minority that might be into whatever facet of the game you're currently obsessing. Uh, and then you realize, wow, there's, there's quite a few others that I can 
not not only you know uh, share this with, but like connect with and talk about it and debate about it, and and that part of it is what I think I enjoy the most. For sure, and it, you know, it's my 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 friends who you know are also golfers that maybe aren't you know quite as interested in this stuff. It, it's it's interesting to see them sort of you know after constant prodding you know, coming around to, you know, the, the thinking that many of us have on the internet of, you know, I don't like to use the word woke, but, you know, I, I, I will in these contexts, you know, woke, woke golf folk. Um, it, I, I feel like it's making a real, you know, difference. It's, it's certainly changing how I think, you know, the PGA Tour and, and um, the professional tours are, I, I hope at some point, um, sort of restructuring how they're going to set up the golf courses and, and what is interesting and what is fun. And, um, it doesn't have to be golf doesn't have to be, you know, $300 round, um, on a, you know, a course that you can barely break 90, uh, on, right. It's, 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 it's way more than that. Um, let's make golf more playable. Let's make it more fun. Let's make it more accessible. Um, and enjoy the, you know, the, the limited time we have when we're out there, let's, let's make it as fun and, and as great as we can. Amen to that. Uh, so I'll, I'll go the counter to that because I was thinking about your time on Capitol Hill and, and I want to know, I've never really talked to somebody who's been close to it like you about golf and, and, and uh, kind of golf's place in, in Congress, if you will. What, what have you seen in that? Because we, we hear stories about, you know, in the, in the headlines, either so-and-so is playing too much golf or so-and-so you know, uh, was playing with, with the, the congressman from Nevada. Like, is it, is it permeated through, through all of Congress that like things happen on the golf course, these conversations take place there? Yeah. You know, there, there's, there's a really good, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll back up a step. I, I, I like to say that Washington, um, is a company town, you know, especially if you're involved in, in government, um, or politics, you know, it, 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 the district is not, you know, huge in terms of population, 700,000 ish people. Um, you know, you, you, you know, the, the, the country likes to think that, you know, we're divided by parties and in many ways we are here, but we're also, we also live next to each other. We go to the same restaurants, we go to the same bars, our kids go to the same schools and we play the same golf courses. So, you know, there, there's, there's really an interesting community, um, you know, left and right that, uh, is in and around, you know, the, the goings on of the government. You know, obviously members of Congress play, um, not all of them, but a lot of them do. Um, you know, our recent presidents have, have all been really into golf, um, which I think is great because um, uh, it is such a you know, great way to spend time um, and relax. And then, you know, there, there's a, there's a, certainly a culture of, um, you know, the, uh, political side of fundraising where um, you know, members regularly have, you know, big events where they raise money for their campaigns. Um, a lot of charities here do golf related things that members are invited to and staff are invited to. And it's, it's a great way to get to know somebody. I mean, obviously, you know, golf is a great, great way to get to know somebody. It's a good way to develop relationships with, with members and, and with staffers and things like that. And, you know, a lot of my close friends here in Washington have come as a result of, um, of, of playing golf um, and those friendships are bipartisan um, and, and most you know folks who are, are regular golfers 
doesn't necessarily matter. You know, I, I don't care if I'm going to go out, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find Democrats to play with. I just want to go out and play with people who are fun to, to be on the golf course with and play fast and like to walk and are interested in the same things, you know, that, that you, that you and I are um, for the experience. And, you know, I, I, I think, you know, it's portrayed on, on TV that, uh, you know, folks who work in this world here in DC are always at each other's throats. And, and, you know, while that's sometimes the case during the day, you know, when you're on the Senate floor, you know, debating something or, you know, trying to get your bill or your amendment passed, you know, oftentimes the next day, you know, you show up at a public golf course here and, and you end up going out with someone who's you know, the complete opposite side of the political spectrum as you and you have a great time and you get to know somebody new and maybe you talk a little bit about, you know, work and, you know, who you work for and where you work and what you do. And, and that's certainly an ever present question here in Washington. But then it quickly turns to, man, that third hole was great. You played, that was a great birdie. Um, or, you know, where, where do you usually play? Who do you like to play with? That sort of stuff. Um, you know, because it is a small town, we, we often know, we, you know, a lot of other people in the opposite party, not to mention the same party. So it's pretty easy to develop, you know, good golfing relationships with people that, that come from a different part of the country or a different part of the world in many cases, or are of a different political persuasion than you are. And, and um, it certainly helps, you know, uh, foster those relationships that, you know, maybe you don't need in the next month or the next two months, but maybe a couple years down the road, it, you know, um, it, it can, it can, that relationship can help, help your boss move your bill or, um, you know, uh, develop a business uh, relationship that, that might be beneficial to both parties. So it, it's, it's a cool culture here. And, you know, while we do sort of fight during the day, um, there are plenty of opportunities just because we live next to each other that we have to, you know, we have to be neighbors, right? Yeah, I, I guess I never thought of it that way. You're right. There's not a Republican country club and a Democratic country club, or is there? There's not. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> there's, <laughs> it's a good question. In fact, I was just talking about it with somebody last night um, uh, after a round. Uh, I think there are some that maybe tilt a little bit, um, but, you know, there, there's, it, it, DC you know, tends to be more, um, you know, they're, they're more Democrats registered voters here than there are Republicans. Um, but I don't know if that's necessarily the case in the country club scene. So I think it's probably more, more 50, 50 in the country clubs here. Interesting. Yeah. The, it, it, hearing you talk a little bit about it reminds me of my, my days. I, I did uh, spend some time with lobbyists in DC and I was in the health insurance, uh, game prior to, to being in the golf society. Apologies. Game. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks. It wasn't, uh, I'm glad I'm, I'm happy to be do, doing what I'm doing. Um, but you know, golf, I did play golf for the purpose of uh, networking and building business relationships. And it, for me personally, it was really soul sucking. Like I really struggled um, going out there to play this thing that for me was kind of unadulterated pure purity um, for the love of it. And, and kind of turned it into this, you know, I need something from this, this person on the other side or, uh, and it took me a long time to, well, I, I really just stopped doing it for the, for the most part. I didn't really enjoy business golf. And, you know, hearing you talk a little bit about it, 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 it seems like, like, what, what are your thoughts to that? I mean, did you, have you had to do any, any of that? Yeah, I, I, I have, and I, and I do, um, 
you know, it, it, you make a, you make a really good point. I, mean, I think what, what I try and do and, and um, a lot of people here who are really passionate about the game try and do is, you know, you have to acknowledge it sometimes, sometimes it'll be transactional and sometimes there are just people who are always transactional. Um, but true. you kind of look, will you look around those people and maybe limit the, the number of times you go out with, with folks that, that are like that. Um, and, you know, for, for the most part, especially, you know, among the people that play pretty regularly, you know, there, there are a handful of, 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 you know, groups of, of guys that are our age that, you know, try and get out, um, you know, in, in regular and sort of a regular cadence to play, um, sort of outside of, you know, where people belong in their internal country club sort of set, but, um, try and seek opportunities to bring people from both parties together who, who love the game and, um, are interested in playing it. Um, so, you know, that sort of stuff happens and in those instances, it's not transactional at all. I mean, maybe you're going to talk about, you know, why, you know, you know, your, your job's not going great or, you know, you're upset, but that's the life stuff. Right. Um, and it's not, it, it's not always transactional. You know, there, there's a, there's, um, one group in particular, particular that, um, uh, two, two friends of mine, uh, they do a twice annual event, um, uh, with about 140, 150 guys. Uh, it's a big shotgun event and it's for, you know, uh, men and women, uh, both parties. It's a staffer, um, government relations, big event and it's great. And every time you go out, you get, um, paired up with people that you don't know for the most part. Um, and no one really necessarily cares about what they're going out to shoot, though there's certainly sandbagging that goes on. And I think the guys who run this acknowledge that a lot of the stuff that, that we do professionally for golf isn't always all that great because of the transactional nature of it. And they try and focus on, we're not here to talk work. We're not here to talk politics. We're here to get to know new people and play a cool golf course. Um, they do it in the fall. They do it in the spring. Um, and there are little pockets of groups like that, that maybe don't, you know, the group's not as, as big as 150 people, but you know, the first trip I took down to mid pines was 16 guys. Um, the goal was to make it, you know, as bipartisan as possible, eight and eight if possible, get some staff, get some people in the administration and just get to know new people. Everybody plays about the same level handicap and just go have a fun trip. Right. And we don't necessarily need to talk work or, say, Hey, can I get your boss to co-sponsor this bill? It's just more getting to know you and, um, you know, sort of bridging the divides that, that sometimes do exist here in town and, and, um, creating new relationships. That's, <clears throat> I, I think that, uh, that speaks to me because I think where, where, where I was successful on that political or business side of, of things is probably steering away from transactional conversations if I could, but, you know, golf was always that, you know, other than just the, the enjoyment of the, the purity of the game, it was a perfect place to meet somebody and get to know them. Even if you're not having a ton of conversation, you really do get to see someone's you know, behavior out there. You get to see how they interact with the golf course, how they, how they talk to themselves. And, uh, and I think when I started focusing on that part of just saying, okay, hey, I'm going to take the next four or five hours just to uh, you know, build a relationship, get to know somebody and, and, and play my game and have a good time doing it and, and try to avoid the transaction at all costs. Sometimes you can't, like you said, some people are, they might just be having a cup of coffee or playing golf. They're going to talk about the deal and, and whatnot. 
But, uh, but I think that's where it really did serve the broader purpose of, you know, next time we have lunch or next time we discuss the, the matter uh, that, that we care about, it, we're going to know each other so much better. And that is what I think the benefit is. And it took me a while to, to learn that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that you, you had a really good point. And, and what I think is maybe a little bit unique about DC is, you know, everybody comes here from, for the most part, from somewhere else in the country. Um, and you sort of go through uh, an evolution of friendships and relationships here. And when you're, when you're in and around the government, a lot of people come right after college, right after law school, say, I'm going to go work for my hometown congressman, congresswoman, try and get a job in the Senate, or maybe go spend a couple years, you know, in, in the administration. And a lot of those people leave, you know, they come here to get a great line on a resume, get some great experience, um, maybe use their degree in a way that they can't do back home, but then they go back. Um, or they move to a place like Chicago and, and go into, you know, business or, or, or a certain sector that they're interested in. And you sort of lose friends as, as you go through your 20s. And then the people who stick into, you know, your 30s and 40s are the people who are probably going to, you know, have bought a house and have started a family and are going to stay here long term, right? So it's those people. We've, we've been here 10, 15, 20 years. We're less transactional. We were look, just looking for people we like to hang out with. And people that we generally know are, are going to be here for, you know, the duration that, you know, our kids can get to know each other and our wives can get to know each other. And um, you don't always have that in your earlier stages here. And I think people sort of mellow out and get less partisan and, you know, get less antagonistic about politics and, and things like that and become more, all right, this is my community. Who are my people? Who are my golf people? And go from there. And, and, and um, there are cool little pockets of, of folks that are, that are trying to build that, that community here in DC. Speaking of some of those people, uh, I have to ask you about your involvement with National Links Trust. Uh, the big news that dropped um, a few weeks ago now is that you know, National Links Trust won the bid for three uh, public golf courses in, in DC. And uh, t tell us, I know you played a part in there. Um, tell us about how you got introduced to National Links Trust and you know, ju just the name for me. Well, I remember years ago when I first heard that it had assembled, I was just ecstatic because the name hearkened to uh, the Links Trust in Scotland. And I just was praying that this was a group of people that, you know, knew how things operate over there and they're trying to bring it to the States. So it, it, it's obviously a little different, but, um, you know, working with our system here. But I, I was, I've just been so ecstatic about this project from day one. And when I heard that one of our, our members, yourself, was, was helping out, um, that, just, that just was awesome. So how did you hear about it? How did you get involved? Well, yeah, it's, it's super exciting, and, and, and thank you for bringing it up and, and drawing some attention to it. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about uh, Mike McCartan and Will Smith, who, whose vision uh, this is, um, and have created just a great organization or tremendous leaders. But you know, my involvement in it, uh, I, I have to thank New Club uh, for my involvement, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I joined as an ambassador about a year ago now. I think it was in... in in August, and um, in the pre-Slack days, the ambassadors had a, uh, a, a Twitter chat that um, 
was pretty fun and pretty robust and, and has sort of moved over to the ambassador channel on, on our new club Slack and um, got to know Patrick McSpadden through the, the Twitter channel, um, you know, over those first few weeks. And then uh, the Golfer's Journal uh, was doing uh, an event here locally at a golf course called Laurel Hill. Um, and Patrick and I over Twitter um, uh, were, you know, figured out we were both playing in the event and said, Hey, let's, let's, let's uh, get together after the round and sit and have lunch together and get to know each other and chat. And Patrick was playing um, in that event, I believe with, with uh, Jimmy Hubner, uh, another ambassador who I think has now moved back to Chicagoland mm-hmm. or is moving back to Chicagoland. So we all, we all sat around um, and there was a, a, a silent auction um, for, uh, you know, to, to donate to the charity for the event. And one of the items was uh, around at the schoolhouse nine, uh, which is of course built by Mike McCartan down in Sperryville, Virginia, which is about an hour and a half South of DC. Um, and, uh, the new club guys put in for the bid and won the bid, uh, to play golf with, with Mike down at his tremendously fun little nine holer. Uh, so through that, we got Mike's email address and, and Mike, if, if you're listening, which I'm sure you will at some point, um, and I'm sure he actually knows this. I basically like stalked him and elbowed my way into this NLT thing. Turns out I couldn't go on the trip, um, down to Sperryville. Um, I think one of my kids was sick that weekend. So I had to bail on the trip. Um, but I basically reached out to Mike and said, you know, I'm really interested in helping. What can I do to, to sort of lend a hand, um, you know, my expertise through, you know, government um, and Congress and, you know, how, just how can I help? Uh, and, and Mike was, was kind enough to invite me into, you know, this small group of, of folks that um, we cobbled together, um, you know, six, seven, eight months ago now uh, to try and figure out, you know, how we we're going to attack this, uh, uh, this, this proposal and how we we're going to, build an organization and build a proposal to, to hopefully win it. Um, so yeah, it kind of went from there. I mean, McSpadden, um, who's also now a buddy of, of Mike's and has played golf with him a couple of times, uh, was, was really the, my you know, entry into this, uh, this NLT world and, um, can't thank Patrick enough. And, and, and actually, you know, Patrick went, um, went above and beyond, you know, he, he, uh, has moved away from the DC area, but, um, has, has been a real, strong proponent of this this project and w- was kind enough to introduce me to some folks out at the Co- uh, Colorado Golf Association um, who have stood up a really successful caddy program and you know we made a, a caddy program uh, part of our uh, proposal to the National Park Service it's one of the I think one of the, the things that, that stood out um, in our proposal versus other things and I've got Patrick to thank for that as well so um, just kind of went from there uh, reached out to Mike uh, and Will, um, got together for lunch, uh, and they thought, um, I could be helpful and, and have kind of been on board ever since. I did, I did not know <clears throat> that's how he got involved. And I think that's, that's so cool. Patrick McSpad and obviously a great ambassador for, for a new club, for the game of golf. One of the, one of the great gentlemen in the game of golf. Indeed. He really, Indeed. He's really, uh, always spirited, uh, about the game and, and a delight to tee it up with. Yeah, sad he left the area. 
Uh, but we still keep in touch and, and um, hopefully he'll, he'll get back down here um, soon to, to knock it around. So uh, give us just a little bit about, you know, what the project is. I think a lot of our members may not be familiar with National Link Trust just yet, but essentially this proposal you guys were working on, um, East Potomac Park, it's three golf courses, East Potomac Park, Langston, and Rock Creek. And it's really the revitalization of, you know, three public, uh, very public and, and very DC courses. Um, give us kind of a rundown on, on, you know, what the, what the, maybe the proposal process was look like and your, your part in it. Yeah. So it's really a tremendous story and, and a ton of credit goes to the national park service for having the, uh, the vision to, to sort of set up this process. You know, these courses, um, two of them, East Potomac and Rock Creek were, you know, built in the twenties, uh, Langston, the third course was built on a couple years after that. Um, and you know, they are in the heart of, of Washington. Um, East Potomac is, is on the national mall. Um, it's, uh, you know, East Potomac park, West Potomac park, uh, is, is where the Washington monument and, uh, Lincoln Memorial and World War II and all that sort of stuff is. So it, you know, you can walk from the Washington monument to East Potomac. Um, and Rock Creek is in the northwest um, section of town in the middle of Rock Creek Park, which is this huge green space with tons of um, bike trails and, and hiking trails. And then Langston is, is over by where old RFK Stadium is. Um, it's right on the banks of the Anacostia River on the east side of town. And they're, they're right in the heart of D.C. Um, and the Park Service recognized that the way they'd been putting, excuse me, putting out the concession um, uh, contracts for for these courses, um, which had been in a you know, somewhere in like a six to seven year time frame that ultimately would get renewed, was not a really good incentive for the golf courses to be maintained at a uh, you know a very high uh, high level. Or or a better way of saying that is they had sort of gone into you know various states of disrepair and a lot of deferred maintenance and stuff that had built up over many decades of of not having a reinvestment, so to speak, in, in the golf properties themselves. So the Park Service, like I said, to their credit, um, did a both a historical and a maintenance sort of deep dive on all three projects um, to sort of identify, all right, is, are these things that we can turn around? How do we want to turn them around? And they, they approached it from a, a historical preservation perspective, which is not surprising given what, what the MPS is and what they stand for around the country. And they did this huge historical treatment and all three courses have tremendous uh, history, both golf and, and cultural history connected to them. Uh, East Potomac uh, was uh, Walter Travis reversible uh, design originally, um, you know, considered one of the best courses in the country uh, when, it, when it first opened in the 20s, held I believe the, either the first or second U.S. Publics championship. Um, it, it mimics, you know, the old course at St. Andrews in a lot of ways. It's directly adjacent to town. You know, it's on the National Mall. It's a flat piece of property sur surrounded on both sides by, by water. Um, and Travis built what the old course used to be, which was a reversible golf course. Uh, Rock Creek Park, William Flynn, of course, of, uh, designer of, of our uh, fellow uh, new club folk will know. Um, really hilly property, 
uh, originally. Um, and that golf course has, has just been overgrown with trees. East Potomac has, uh, just has a really difficult time with, with water management there. Um, and a lot of the holes were original Travis holes were lost, uh, after World War II. Uh, they put a driving range where some of the holes used to be. And then Langston, um, on the east side of town was, uh, was, was built for the African American community to play golf, which at the time they were not allowed to play the other golf courses. And there's a tremendous culture that still exists there, um, of African American golf. Um, and a lot of clubs that, you know, that formed in the thirties and forties, men's and women's clubs still play there to this day. Uh, it, it is a, uh, one of the best hangs in Washington to sit on the patio there in the grill room after a round, the food's great. Um, you know, people are watching TV, playing cards and hanging out. Um, and there's just a great culture there, uh, at that golf course. And, and that golf course has, has really great bones and is really fun to play and it's diverse and, um, part of it is actually on a, a, a an island in on the Anacostia River, but you wouldn't necessarily know it because of invasive species growth and tree overgrowth. Um, so, you know, the Park Service did this, you know, this look at all three properties and said, you know, why don't we contemplate a long-term lease uh, for all of them somewhere in the 40, 50, 60 year range, which will incentivize someone to raise the capital to restore the golf courses. Um, they really focused on, you know, bringing back the historical character of the golf, maintaining accessibility and affordability for the communities that access the golf courses now, but sort of bringing things into the modern era a little bit, um, recognizing that we, we really do have three gems here um, of, of great pieces of property and open space that are inside the district limits that are accessible by Metro line and bus line and um, accessible for communities who, you know, don't go out 45, 50 minutes to play public access golf. You know, what's, what's maybe unique about, about DC, but probably not, um, you know, a lot of our best golf courses of course are, are private um, and the ones that are closest to the, to the city um, are of course private and most of the daily fee public access courses in a lot of cases are a good bit away from town. So these three properties are incredibly accessible. You know, when I worked on Capitol Hill, I also lived adjacent to it and I could be at Langston, you know, in six or seven minutes. And, you know, as a staffer, a bunch of us used to, you know, get together on Friday mornings and play nine holes where we would go, go into work. Um, and that sort of stuff happens all the time. You'll meet, you know, every walk of life um, at all three courses. And it's just, a, they're great community gathering places. And the Park Service wants them to be restored to um, even better community gathering places going forward. And that's what we're going to try and do with National Links Trust. It's such a, um, <clears throat> you know, I think about this undertaking that in what this proposal must have looked like for you guys and the hours that were, uh, were put in. Um, because it's, you know, I, I know folks that have tried to take on, uh, projects at one, you know, municipal golf course or one, uh, restoration project. And you guys have three on this plate and, um, it's just, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know much about these golf courses. Um, the one that has really caught my attention of late is Langston. I I'm reading, uh, uneven lies by Pete McDaniel right now, which is a, a history of black offers in, in America. And 
Langston is like, um, I just, I just didn't know how important it was to, to the game of golf in our country, like, uh, the United golf association, which was, you know, when there was segregation and blacks weren't allowed to play in our, our tournaments, our U S our opens and everything else they they held their championships. That's where they held it. Uh, I think it was Lee elder grew up there. Right. And look at what he went on mm-hmm. to be the, the, you know, um, the first guy playing the masters, all that. And so I, I, I just, uh, I commend you guys because these places need to be, you know, not just restored, but celebrated. For sure. And, and you know, the, the links in history, and they've got a little bit of it up there at the course and, you know, it's on the national place, uh, national historic register, um, as, as are actually all three courses, but Langston, as you mentioned, in a unique role and, you know, the community that, that golfed are uh, still to this day is, is very diverse. Um, and they love that golf course. Uh, I love that golf course. I mean, it was essentially my, my home club for most of the time that I've lived in Washington. Um, and it, it, it's the history there. Uh, we, we really, really hope that we're successful you know, working with a lot of the folks that, that, that golf there regularly now and, and care passionately about it, that we can sort of highlight that more, um, both from a, from a golf perspective and maintaining the accessibility and affordability um, and the fun of that golf course, um, but also promoting uh, the history that's there and, and highlighting, highlighting as well. And um, you may have also come across that, um, you know, Howard University, a historically black college uh, here in Washington is going to uh, restart their, their men's and women's golf programs with a very generous donation from Steph Curry. Um, you know, we're going to try and put in some really cool practice facilities there at Langston for, uh, uh, for the Howard uh, team. And of course the community will be able to use that stuff too. And it's, it's things like that. That's just going to make the place better than it already is. And, you know, what we, what we came to the, the park service with, and we hope came across in our, our, our proposal is that these places are already great in their own unique ways, but we don't want to mess that up at all. We just want to make the golf a little more interesting and, and, you know, do some things on the, on the fringes to make sure the infrastructure is, is stronger and, and the history is highlighted more. Um, and we, we hope we're successful in doing that. And, you know, I'll, uh, Mike McCartan and Will Smith, you know, um, it was their vision to, uh, to create this nonprofit national links trust and to, to cobble the team together to, um, to do this work. Um, and, and it, what's really exciting from a golf perspective is that, you know, their connections in this game as, uh, you know, trained landscape architects, but also practitioners of golf course architecture, working with, with Tom Doak and Gil Hans over their careers. Uh, we've got awesome names that have, that have, um, you know, pledged to um, do pro bono work to uh, to help rebuild these golf courses. You know, Tom Doak is um, and Renaissance. The guys at Renaissance are going to do East Potomac, and Gil Hans and Jim Wagner are going to do uh, Rock Creek Park, and Bo Welling uh, and his guys are going to do um, some work at at Langston, which is super exciting from the golf nerd perspective. And you know, all three firms, I think. Uh, get what these properties are and can be in the unique situation and that, you know, it is on federally owned land. The federal government through the park service has, has decided to try and make, you know, an investment or, ha- or have an organization make an investment in, in these properties. And they, they do want 
the three golf courses to serve as a model for what municipal uh, golf in the United States can be. You know, uh, Mike McCartan likes to say, and I'll paraphrase him here, you know, interesting and good golf doesn't necessarily have to be expensive golf. And we hope we can show that. And, you know, you look at something like Tom Doak has done and Renaissance has done out at Common Ground. And, you know, that's a really great model, too. Right. Um, the Colorado Golf Association has a tremendous piece of property that has got a caddy program at and green fees are pretty low. Um, and it's a Tom Doak course and it's super fun and interesting to play. And, and we can do that here in Washington uh, and, and golf courses that are in the middle of the city that every, you know, school group when they cross the 14th street bridge, when they're coming from national airport into town is going to look out and see, um, and every visitor that, that comes down to the waterfront or the wharf in DC or, 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 you know, goes over on the hill by Langston, they're going to see those, these golf courses. And in many cases, people live here in Washington don't necessarily know they're there. Um, in the case of rock Creek, which is in the middle of this giant park system that if you didn't try and find your way there on Google maps, you wouldn't stumble across it. And, Let's make it more accessible. Let's open up trails and let's get more people seeing the golf being there and maybe it'll come in and fall in love with the game like we all have. Um, the thing that felt different from day one for me on this, and when I hear Mike speak, uh, you, you definitely hear it. And it's, it's not, you know, a lot of these projects, people want to make a name or they want to, uh, you know, we can, we can now demand $175 fees out of out of towners or we can, you know, we can go these other routes to up revenue to make it quote unquote, a big deal. He's making a big deal in a different way in that it's this custodial protection of the, the current customer along with everybody else, everybody else. And, and it's that accessibility, that inclusivity that, um, I, I know he feels strongly about because I've heard him, I've heard him speak on different podcasts and that's, I think you combine that or you couple that that affordability accessibility with engaging architecture and that's just that's just it like that's the thing that i think us golf nerds have been screaming about for a while now is that it it's it's a simpler than we all make it out to be and and simple is maybe not the right word but it certainly um doesn't cost much more money i think uh keith rev also the guy we've had on the podcast who would share michael's opinion on that that it's, it doesn't require a boatload of cash. It's, uh, you can have really fun, interesting golf um, with these simple uh, uh, aspects of architecture. No, you're, you're, to you're totally right. And th that was always sort of the, the worry here in, in town was that it was going to go that direction. Um, you know, there, there, for the last number of years, there's, there's been this rumor that you know, the park service was taking a look at the, the courses and maybe thinking about restructuring how they're managed and things like that. And, and the worry was that, you know, it was, it, it, it was going to East Potomac in particular, because it's just a huge piece of land was going to get turned into, you know, a place to hold a, a tour stop or a, a major championship. And while that would be cool, we already sort of have those venues here in town. Um, you know, Congressional is being rebuilt right now to host a ton of PGA Championships and Ryder Cups in the future. And that's great, right? That's that's a way that people can get into golf is by going to those big championships. And I'm sure there are plenty of people that, you know, are going to show up at Congressional at the number of championships they have over the, the coming years and, and get into the game that way. But, but, you know, most people, especially people that are living in the city, you, you know, maybe can't get up to 
the Bethesda to, to go see that course. Well, they can get to Langston and they can get, and they can get to East Potomac. So let's not build them a golf course that's going to cost $125 to play on a weekend or $175 to play on a weekend. Let's get them a, a better golf course, better conditions, more interesting architecture, and let's keep the price point the same. And maybe they'll fall in love with the game that way and, and, um, and bring their friends the next time. And, and, and maybe they'll seek a, a career in golf. Uh, maybe they'll get interest, interested in agronomy or architecture um, or golf course management. Um, any number of fields that, you know, uh, that could become career paths for, for folks that, that maybe don't know golf exists right now or don't know that it's something that they can do. And that's something I think we want to do with the caddy program, which is such a tremendous way, I think, to, to introduce people to the game um, and, and open their eyes to the possibilities that exist in the game. Um, and that's really one of our goals is to keep it affordable, make it interesting, but bring new people here in Washington, the golf that, that maybe are not familiar with the game or, or maybe it's, you know, the, the image is the country club image and it's not the, Hey, this is actually a cool place to hang out. It's a fun game. Um, you know, and, and we're going to, we're, we're putting in part three courses at, at some of these places, you know, big you know, Himalaya style putting, uh, putting greens are, are in our plans. Um, you know, which is of course the, it's kind of silly to say it, but it, it's, you know, it's a newfangled thing in golf to put in all these, you know, non-regulation 18 hole uh, golf courses, but man, it's just so straightforward. And, you know, you look at the old course and, and you, you go out and, and play the Himalayas and it's like, why doesn't every place have this? Every, every public access course should have something like this. It's, you know, you don't need the extra, you know, wing of the clubhouse, put in a, put in a fun putting green. And we want to take a lot of the, you know, great lessons we've seen learned elsewhere, um, you know, whether uh, at daily fee places or at destination resorts like abandoned dunes and, and introduce that in a municipal setting because it, that stuff works and it's fun and it brings more people to golf. And that's our ultimate goal. I, I love bringing up the old course, which happens a lot on this podcast, but uh, I I'm digging into a little bit more of old Tom and some of the stuff that people don't know about the man. You know, he was, in a lot of ways, it's similar to this National Links Trust. And, and he was misunderstood um, for, for a lot of the things that he was pushing for in the game. You know, uh, there's the famous story about the ball uh, that he, you know, was making featheries and that was part of his livelihood and income. And he just kind of scrapped that when this new ball that got a purchase showed up and his uh, Alan Robinson, you know, they, they fell, fell out and all this stuff. But he was doing it because he knew that this made it more accessible because he had people in town that couldn't play golf because they couldn't afford featheries. And, and he knew that. And then the, the, uh, what was the uh, ladies course now the Himalayas putting green, he designed that because he knew that people weren't going to go out and, and be able to immediately play the old course. Um, and, and they're going to shoot 195, you know, in those days. And so he knew that there needed to be something there that allowed them to, to see the rest of the golf course, to aspire to the rest of the golf course, but to still have fun with a golf club. And, and there's, there's just some historians that I've, I've connected with who are digging on this stuff. And I, I think what's so cool is, you know, it's, again, I think we always overthink things. We always try to add more. A lot of times we have to take away, strip it down, look at the past and see that there's a roadmap already there for us. 
Um, and, and it can be enjoyable and fun for everybody if we just kind of pay attention. No, you're absolutely right. And it's, we, we hope it came through in our, in our proposal. And I, I think it, it did because we were selected, but there are so many ways that you can bring people into golf that doesn't require them to play a regulation size golf course on and around it's going to take four to five hours to play. Right. You know, the cradle is doing it at Pinehurst now. And, you know, there's no reason that can't be replicated on a small piece of land that, you know, maybe instead of building an 18 hole course, you build a nine hole course and a really fun par three and, 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 uh, and a putting course. And, you know, I've got young kids and I can't wait to, to, you know, have opportunities to introduce them to the game at, uh, on a course that's not going to turn them off from it. Right. And I think that, that was always a, I think that's a, that's a challenge many parents have is when do you, when do you bring your kids out to golf, right? When do you introduce them to the game in a way that's not going to intimidate them and turn them off? And we hope that all three places are going to allow families to um, you know, utilize these resources that we have here in, in town way more than they currently are. Well, uh, I just want, on behalf of the rest of our membership, thanks for getting involved in this thing. Thanks for bugging Mike McCartan and, and getting in there. Um, I, I hope it's just the beginning for National Links Trust. I, I truly, truly do. Uh, I, I want New Club to support in any way we can. You know, I grew up on a, um, a few different, a bunch of different courses in Northeast Ohio, but one was in the National Park, Kiowa National Park. And uh, two years ago, it closed down. I went out and took all these morbid, sad pictures of the overgrowth. And, uh, and it's, it's called Brandywine, phenomenal golf course. And it had a par three course. And, and it was the only par three course anywhere within three hours of my house, I think. And that was the first golf league I played. And that was the only place my, my friends that weren't golfers, that didn't grow up at country clubs, uh, that they felt welcome that they felt, you know, that they could play this game with me. And, and those are still my best friends today. And many of them are getting back into the game, but uh, you know, it's just so, it's so important that these places get the attention. And like I said, the celebration of what they can do um, and, and not just the, the big, you know, bucket list places. I think us as golfers, it's part of our job to pay it forward, to visit those places, to celebrate them. So they don't go, the way that, you know, that mine did, that it, they, they closed up shop. And, and you guys in, in the National Link Trust, what, what Michael has started, what Will has started, I, I hope it becomes that custodian. I really, truly do. And, and it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. And, you know, there's such a cool movement in this country right now. I mean, you know, we, we certainly referenced this in the proposal, the success that, you know, a place like Winter Park um, is having there. And, you know, recognition that you can, people are really, people will come out, people will come if you build interesting architecture and it doesn't have to cost a lot of money and new people will come to the game uh, via that route as well. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've got, we've got a lot of work ahead of us. Um, it's, a, it's a big project with, with three properties um, and, you know, the new support has been tremendous. Um, you know, I encourage folks to check out the website. Um, National Links Trust website. Website. There's a, a lot of cool information about the histories of the of the properties um, there, and you know a, a lot of you know more exciting stuff on on the designs and all uh, all that sort of you know golf nerd stuff that'll be forthcoming in the future. 
um, but really encourage people to, to go on, on the website. And if um, listeners are interested in helping, please feel free to reach out um, over Slack or um, you know, the NLT email. Uh, we're, we're looking for help wherever we can, whether it's financial or um, people have uh, connections or ideas or may be able to help with them in any way possible. So, you know, it's, 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 it's been a, our, our, we have a little community that built to, that we built to, to put forward this proposal. And now it's the community has to get much, much, much larger if we're going to be successful, um, which is really exciting, but also a big challenge. So we're, we're looking for help wherever we can get it. We'll put all those links and make sure people can find it. And, uh, my last question for you, Brian, is going to be, you, you bring up introducing the kids uh, to the game of golf. Uh, I'm joining the parents club in November and it's already on That's my right. mind. It's already on. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Sir. Uh, how, how do you do it? What, what, so what do you got? Two under four. Is that right? Yeah, I've got two kids under four. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I bought the little like, plastic golf thing. Um, at the beginning of the quarantine here this year, did you get custom um, fitted? Did they did they go get get fitted up for like? <laughs> not club? not not quite, not quite yet. Um, you know, they my kids like to watch it on TV. I think, um, and Matt, you will uh, you you will uh, look forward to coffee golf um, in your future because you're going to be up bright and early. Um, and it, they like to watch it on TV for a couple minutes at a time. They certainly know what it is when, when, you know, dad is watching it on a Sunday afternoon, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to, you know, get them out to, out to the course at some point. And, you know, a lot of that goes back to you know, the stuff we were talking about with National Links Trust, which is there aren't a lot of places where I necessarily feel comfortable bringing them out to, right? Um, I don't belong to a country club. Um, even if I did, I don't know that I'd be comfortable, you know, bringing a four-year-old to, you know, go putts around or, um, you know, put on the green. I, I don't know that, that the places here in Washington are super open to that. But we hope that Langston, East Potomac, and Rock Creek will be that um, place where you can introduce people to the game. And um, I think my dad did it right. You know, my dad played competitive amateur golf locally, you know, all through growing up. And for, for him, you know, he would bring me to his range sessions and that was you know, sort of my, my way onto the course. And then when I could get the ball off the ground, it was, I will play a twilight nine here or there. Um, when I was old enough to cat, carry the bag, I would caddy for him and, um, you know, local amateur competitions and things like that. And, um, but it's, 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 it's a challenge. And I think a lot, a lot of people are really into the game struggle with it now because places aren't necessarily welcoming to little kids. Um, as much as they maybe should be, um, and it's hard to kind of find where you where you can go. And I think was, what's been really exciting for me, I can't wait for when the the Augusta National Women's uh, Amateur Championship gets back on TV and they can play that again. Um, my oldest is is, uh, is we have a daughter is our oldest, and um, you, you know there uh, w- women's accessibility to golf is is not great. Um, it, it just isn't, and, and, you know, I've got two younger sisters and my dad tried to get them into the game as much as he tried to get me into the game. And for whatever reason, they were both turned off on it. Um, and I don't want that to happen, um, to my daughter. I want her to, if she chooses to, to fall in love with golf as much as I have. Um, and it's exciting that, um, you know, I think from, from the television coverage perspective and, and we're going in the right direction on those sorts of things, but 
we've got a lot more to do. And that, that um, is true for, for all, you know, minority communities and their access to the game. And um, I think we really hope at NLT to, to, to make it easier and reduce those barriers for people who want to become golfers. Yeah, that definitely highlights the broader ecosystem of this game and, and what it can do for families, for communities. Um, yeah, we, we've, we've got a, we've got an opportunity. I think now as all these courses are around the country, whether they're private or public are sort of in this stage of, all right, we've got to put some money into these things or we're going to lose them. We've got an opportunity, our generation to be stewards of these courses going forward, whether you're you know, on the green committee of a private club or you're a mayor of a, of a town or you're a nonprofit like, like NLT that, that decides to want to do, do something. And I think the time's now to do this because we, we can, we've got examples um, here. And of course the old course will always be the shining example of municipal golf. Let's do it here. And let's, let's, let's take that challenge and be true, true stewards of golf and uh, for our kids um, to have when they're our age. Can't think of a better way to, to end this hour with you, my friend. That was really enjoyable. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. And now I have your uh, cell phone number. I'm going to call you with all kinds of parenting questions. <laughs> I can't wait. Congratulations <laughs> to you. Uh, it, uh, being a dad is just the best. Yeah. Well, Brian, thanks. We, we love having you as a member, man. And uh, looking forward to teeing it up hopefully sometime soon. Thanks, Matt. This episode was brought to you by Half Day CBD. Personally, I started using Half Day and their line of CBD products a little more than a year ago to assist in three areas, sleep, pain relief, and anxiety. I use the Half Day oils at night as part of my bedtime ritual, which I've found to be way better for me than the use of melatonin or other sleep aids. I like to use the Half Day topical relief cream for my knees, which always start to ache around this time of the golf season. And as someone who has struggled with the performance anxiety on the golf course in the past, I use the half-day CBD gummies as a way to curb some of those first tee jitters before an especially nervy match or tournament. So using the links in our show notes and the links on our blog, you can check out their full line of hemp-derived products and use the promo code NEWCLUB15. You'll receive an additional 15% off your first order. You'll also see some of the half-day staffers at our upcoming tournaments and events for the second half of the golf season. They are a great company who love the game of golf. And if you're interested in the use of CBD products or just curious about the benefits for yourself, I encourage you to check them out and learn more.